I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to this week's edition of The Shot Podcast. Uh, my name's Joe Dar. I'm excited to be with you all again uh, and also to be here on the pod, uh, in the pod with uh, editor of The Shot, Dave Milner. G'day. Uh, managing director of The Chaser and all-round rat bag, generally Charles Firth. Hello. Uh, and we are joined today uh, with a guest contributor, both to the podcast and to The Shot, um, Patrick Lenton. Welcome all, um, but particularly Patrick. Thank you so much for having me. And our apologies from the marvellous Grace, who is off doing very Grace important things this week and is looking forward to being back with us next week. This week's sort of highlighted uh, showcase article was from Patrick and it was about the crazy madness that went on in Melbourne when we, for the first time, I think, and certainly the first time in a long time, we saw actual Nazis walking through the streets. Now, last week on the podcast, we were absolutely exhorting people to go up and punch a Nazi if they saw them. Mm. Um, But actually, people couldn't get too close to the Nazis in Melbourne because they were being protected by Victoria's finest force in blue. Patrick, you were there. Uh, tell us about your experience on the ground and then we'll get into your fantastic article and what you think it says about Australia and what we need to be um, protecting against. Yeah, sure. I mean, it was uh, one of the stranger experiences to uh, sort of turn up to a protest and just have a whole bunch of really proud out Nazis. Uh, you know, they... <laughs> We talk a lot about, uh, you know, being proud of who you are, but I think there should be a little bit more shame when it comes to Nazis. Mm. But uh, It's yeah, confronting, that- isn't it, when you see that? I should just jump in quickly. It's not the first time in a while, Joe, that we did actually have it uh, last year. They peed on the Shrine of Remembrance and walked across the Westgate Bridge. Uh, a few days after an earthquake, it was completely discombobulating. But were they doing their actual kind of Nazi salute? They were being, they were embracing their full Nazi identity with quite. There was the definitely that. There were there were photos of that. Yeah, they're, 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 right. They're definitely. So it was. wasn't just the vibe; it was in fact the outstretched arm. Mm. Yeah. So I uh, I was in the uh, in the crowd of protesters uh, protesting um, Kelly J Keane's uh, speeches and appearance. And um, what we had was a, a very clear line of police who were aimed at the protesters and moved us further and further back uh, across the street, across the tram line until we were kind of uh, away from the speeches, but then also separated into a couple of different groups, which was, um, I I think, a tactic that they were specifically doing to keep us kind of isolated. And then while that was happening, the, uh, on the town, uh, the parliament steps, we had the, uh, the Kelly J. Keene organization and also we had the uh, the Nazis and a whole bunch of other uh, types, um, <laughs> yeah, which was a, a very interesting thing to uh, to watch. And talk us, tell us a little bit about uh, Kelly J. Keane and who she was, who she is, and how it was that what was very much a, an anti-trans being dressed up and disguised as 
pro-woman uh, event ended up attracting the Nazis. Um, they then they tried to decry the Nazis' presence a little bit, but in the end they all seemed like they were pretty good mates. It was very much a case of uh, damage control sort of saying, we didn't ask these Nazis to be here. No, you know, <laughs> no, we didn't send them a little invitation uh, mm. with, a, with, a, yeah. with a ribbon wrapped around it. Um, but the fact is that Nazis uh, felt welcome to come, and that's probably the bigger... Uh, case, you know, Nazis agree with uh, Kelly's opinion on trans people, which is that they shouldn't exist, uh, and um, and that's why they felt like they had a place at that rally. So, um, so Kelly is uh, also known as um, Posey Parker. Um, uh, that's a sort of a fake name that she uses. Um, and Which is sacrilege, I have to say, to all fans of the actor Parker Posey. Oh, I think. It's, but um, honestly, yeah, it must be. Killing her. Parker Posey probably has a libel case uh, because yeah. of the amount of people who I who I've seen being like, but I loved her in you know X <laughs> or Y, and it's like no 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 it's completely different people. No one really knows why this has happened, um, but she's from the UK and uh, and she tends to do a uh, an anti-trans sort of tour of the uh, of the world, which she brands as uh, let women speak, uh, but also doesn't identify as a feminist and doesn't really do anything other than speak out about why uh, she believes trans people are mm. uh, pedophiles and groomers. Well, that would be quite incongruous if we did have Grace here this afternoon, given that her whole great mission has been let her speak in a very different and real and authentic context. And then you've got these kind of astroturf nightmares mm. touring the world, as you say. It's interesting that Australia does seem to attract these sort of right-wing nut jobs uh, and they seem to be welcomed in um not welcomed necessarily broadly by the wider population when they get onto the streets as we saw in melbourne and then particularly in tasmania i think we we really did ourselves proud as australians in tasmania with the reception that she got there but we do seem to have it seems to be relatively lucrative whether it's the nigel farages or you know katie hopkins had to be drummed out of the country because of a you know a quarantine breach and and so we we have a history of these nut jobs coming into the country. Yeah, it seems to be a case of, um, I don't know, maybe they just get an invite uh, to be a Sky News presenter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they, uh, they, they turn up. Um, but, yeah, as we saw, her protests were absolutely outnumbered, um, or her rallies, sorry, were outnumbered by the protesters in every single city in Australia um, by a significant amount. Probably Melbourne was the largest turnout that she had, but as we saw, that was padded out with Nazis, so I'm not sure if that's a win. <laughs> <laughs> if they would be counted when it came down to it, would you count the Nazis to get your, he your head count up? Exactly. Pa well, Patrick, we've just talked about the Australian angle on this. I'm curious about the UK angle. It does seem for some reason to be a hotbed of transphobic commentary. Um, you've obviously studied this field for a little while. Do you have any insights into why that might be? Is it just everyone's following J.K. Rowling? Uh, J.K. Rowling seems to have kind of followed the trend uh, as um, as the UK kind of got more and more radicalised into anti-trans sentiment. Uh, J.K. Rowling kind of got radicalised with it. And, you know, if you look at, uh, if you follow the sort of timeline of how she became a prominent anti-trans sort of speaker, usually on social media. It started off with her sort of saying, 
oh, no, 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 you know, I'll, I'll march and support our trans brethren if I need to. I just, you know, have certain certain uh, concerns about safeguarding this, you know, or like, or I didn't mean to like that uh, anti-trans speaker's tweets. That was a senior moment. And now she's just out there completely, fully uh, decrying uh, trans people. So <laughs> that, you know, we could go into JK Rowling forever, I think. It's, it's look, it's, it's really hard to work out exactly what, happened in um in the uk uh and there are a lot of really interesting articles that kind of do try to uh break it down but one of the things that i've looked at um a lot in reporting is the media's role in doing this and the media in the uk went from a uh very firmly went into the it's a debate sort of style reporting early on many years ago where they were putting, uh, where they were basically letting uh, anti-trans sort of extremist talk be considered part of a conversation, which then gave yeah. rise and credence to that, to the point. Is, is this the same, is this like the ABC's approach to climate change for the last 20 years, where you're presenting balance and reasonable, but you're actually just letting idiots spell their idiocy? Exactly, and then, uh, and then create a, um, I guess, a tacit, uh, endorsement that it is an important debate to be having, whereas you know it's really not. It's about dignity and people's rights, so it's not a debate. It's you know it's putting a marginalised community under the spotlight. It's exactly what we saw in Australia uh, during the um, marriage survey uh, era, where we had uh, all you know lots and lots of media giving a lot of space to people like Lyle Shelton who doesn't represent anybody except for himself and whatever little organization he's currently uh, being a part of. And um, I told him to tweet shit on Twitter this week. Corey Bernardi as well. Corey Bernardi, you know, like like people yeah. people who really don't represent anything other than uh, extreme views for a, you know represented by a small amount of people, and then it gives them a, a profile, it gives them a boost, and it creates uh, it creates a sort of idea of their views being relevant <laughs> but I'm, I'm actually very disappointed we were promised by Corey bernardi people would be able to marry bridges if the gay marriage plebiscite got up the gay marriage plebiscite got up i voted for it specifically because of that promise which bridge do you want to and marry? then there's been no no you can't no you're still not allowed to get married to bridges it's not allowed but <laughs> It I mean, was a lie. It's got. I mean, it's got that to be whole the, thing was a lie. The Sydney Harbour Bridge, though. I mean, beautiful, beautiful bridge. No, the Montague oh. Street Bridge, the Trunk Destroyer. I'll tell you, the Sydney Harbour Bridge is totally out of Charles's league. I think we can <laughs> yeah, all think, agree on that. I think Mark, Mark Humphrey. Yeah, I, I get the Carl Expressway or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it is also the thing, isn't it? That it's not just this sort of quest for balance. It's just the sheer volume of material that gets printed. And I think when the New York Times were going through their contretemps about um, the trans debate in inverted commas, uh, the, the sheer number of articles that had been written about it and always kind of highlighting this notion of the invasion of trans people into women's only spaces and kind of what, what that means. But, of course, this is... This is not what is happening at all, and it's certainly not the experience of most trans people and, indeed, most people just going about their business in toilets. Um, so it, 
it gives a false idea of what is actually happening on the ground anyway in the most ex- extreme and painful ways. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and you have to look at the why media is doing that. It's because it's lucrative for them. You know, it is, it's not even a conspiracy to say that when, you know, when you put up a polarizing uh, or potentially a polarizing topic like that, then it gets a lot of engagement and there is either bad faith uh, kind of daily mail, like we'll do anything for the clicks uh, style reporting, or people who see that as being a representative of objective journalism working. They're like, great, look at this wonderful engagement with this piece. And it's like, well, actually, all you've managed to do is uh, pit two communities against each other um, in bad faith. Uh, so, you know, what exactly are you bringing to this except for, you know, spreading misinformation? And that was, all I think, your point that you made in the article is that you can have people who are doing things very much in, in bad faith, but then you can have seemingly respectable news outlets or platforms like Insight on SBS who are choosing to put up as the other side of this debate Catherine Dees um, so that to have her they're um, representing a reasonable position in their mind. And and that does seem to me pretty odd. I mean, I know we've seen the sort of devolution and diminution of a whole range of our media platforms, but SBS and Insight, you'd think, is actually one platform where there is still the time and the capacity and you'd think the intellectual heft to have proper, reasonable, kind of calm, deep discussions and yet... They've reached out to Catherine Deves not once but twice mm. and thereby alienated um, people within the trans community who might otherwise have liked to put their case to the white Absolutely. It's a community. It's a very interesting perspective to say, oh, well, we're going to get some trans people on this show as well, talking directly opposite someone who has uh, who's defined themselves by as a single-issue person who doesn't believe that they should have you know, specific rights or freedoms in Australia. Uh, that just doesn't seem to be, to me, to be a balanced situation. You know, whereas the uh, the trans community just want to live. You know, like yeah. that's it. <laughs> how radical is but, that? But I'd like to bring in the yeah. sort of political strategy around. You know, why pit these two different communities against them? And we've got a friend in the UK who was out here recently, and she was shocked by how little the transgender sort of debate had happened here compared to the UK. She she described how the left is completely riven, you know, is literally split in two between turfs, like between the sort of feminist, old feminists who, you know, think that it's a very simple thing to say a woman is a woman is a woman and, and, transgender people which includes transgender allies who often are obnoxious white oxford professor men in their early 30s who use their support of trans issues to actually be quite misogynistic and tell feminists where to get off you know you know what i mean like yeah so what it's done is it's completely split the left very cleverly um and got them to be talking about this thing that it's a completely, di- as we said, it's a completely dishonest debate. It's it's not, there's no honest sort of thing there. But but you've got to see it in terms of a, a broader political strategy. It's not just media companies have happened upon 
um, oh, this is a great way to get engagement. It, there is there is a genuine in, intention there to make the left arguing amongst themselves, so that well, uh, yeah, you know, like, like the Ron the Ron DeSantis is in Florida, who's done it in Florida, can sort of wage culture wars that split their opponents and they just get to get their way and, and the right provides. And then we're not talking about things like the latest IPCC report and buying yes, fucking exactly. submarines. Yes. Well, and we will talk about that yes. in a moment, Dave, but I do or, think that is an interesting point of Charles's. Um, and that, but in a way, like the lie of all of that is revealed when you have someone like um, – Kelly Jane come out and be standing next to actual Nazis. Yeah, Nazis. Um, yes, it's a bit of a, bit of a giveaway. You could, <laughs> you could have some kind of nuanced discussions about, you know, the material reality of living in a biological female body and what that means and there's sort of medical implications, all of those things. You can have that nuanced debate, but that is not the debate that is being had. I um, mean, it's not the debate that's mm. being had when the chief spokespeople are known to be you know, hopnomming around more generally with kind of debates like anti-Islam, um, all of those sort of sad right-wing culture war tropes, and then get to Melbourne and stand next to Nazis. <laughs> and and I think and I think it's worth pointing out as well that feminism is a mask that the majority of these people hide behind. So so you're right in that like a lot of these uh, that it has been split down a kind of a line where a lot of uh, UK um, prominent anti-trans people are describing themselves as, as feminists. But then there's also feminists uh, who are trans people or trans allies. Uh, and and the majority of feminist uh, like academia and all sorts of you know discussions around feminism have actually been uh, moved into the intersectional sort of side. And then on the same sort of um, uh, idea, we've got one of the most prominent anti-trans organisers in the UK being Graham Linehan, uh, you know, who is not a woman uh, and, uh, you know, and also uses feminism as a, as a reason for being a complete obsessed anti-trans weirdo. So, um, so I think that it is, uh, it's part of the reason why this whole Nazi um, debacle has been so interesting because it's actually pulled away a lot of the respectability mm. mask that anti-trans organisers around the world and and in Australia especially have been hiding behind. Oh, my God, um, they're still trying, though. I've seen some unhinged tweets that are just warping reality before my eyes. The, 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 most, the clearest example of it was someone saying there were three groups there. There were, you know, there were the women's rights protesters, there were the trans people, and there were the Nazis. And the, the group of, tr- you know, pro-trans and allies only attacked the women they didn't attack the nazis they stood by while the nazis were marching across the streets and this was the line that they decided to jump on and run with that's their spin it's incredible it's, it's- i mean i guess it was kind of useful seeing some of the political responses as well because finally john pasudo had to come out and um, condemn moira deeming um, as if she hadn't been saying a lot of these things before but standing next to a nazi they they had to act and you know, Dan Andrews, always good with the symbolism, um, even if not always with the follow-through, uh, did kind of come, come out strongly. Um, although Albo was still a little bit like, yes, Nazis are bad, but why can't we all be nice to each other <laughs> sort of thing, which I have to mm. say was a bit lame. And I think it was Tim Dunlop who 
who cited in response to that, James Baldwin, you know, we can disagree and we can still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist, which I think is seems to be a lot of where things kind of go off the rails um, so, with the trans debate when it does come down to a denial of humanity and right so, to exist. So in some way, in summary... Thank God for the Nazis. <laughs> you don't ever need to say that, Charles. It's just, just, it's just one of those Charles things Firth. that is like so easy to take out of context, especially in an audio form. Like we'll use that as the pull quote. <laughs> hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. But I guess drawing on some of the criticisms that we were making about the media in this debate, the media have yet again failed to cover themselves with glory this week and another debate um, being their collective sort of conniption meltdown sook to Paul Keating's, I think, spray for the ages at the National Press Club last week, which happened just after we'd recorded the podcast so we haven't had a chance to just glory in the great invective that does come yet still from PJK. And this was the topic of your article, um, Dave, last week, which uh, another fine um, screed. Thank you, Joe. Screed, I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, I wrote a piece called Paul Keating uh, said mean things about me and my stupid newspaper and now I have hurt feelings. And <laughs> I just... I don't know that that almost felt like all I needed to say. I had to. I also wrote fifteen hundred words that went a bit further than that, but that really was the crux of the thing. I feel like what we saw that day was some very. It was almost like they were just lining up to get guillotined, and they knew it was coming because they <laughs> it was knew hilarious, wasn't they it? <laughs> were. They knew they were less informed than this person. They knew that they cared less than this person. They knew they were just there basically to get rolled. And they realized I think some of the more too late, I think, that their gotcha question was going to just implode back in their face within seconds. Mm. Yeah, and it was and it was actually I thought it was good to see that the the press spent the rest of the week, you know, talking about how upset they were and how unreasonable Paul Keating was. And I mean I am I don't remember much of his prime ministership, but I do remember that that was basically what everyone expected to happen all the fucking time. Mm. And all of a sudden, yeah. everyone was really surprised mm. by it. Yeah, age has not wearied him. <laughs> but he's right. Like, like the, the, the thing, Keating is absolutely yeah. right. We have somehow found out. I've got a conspiracy theory, actually, about this. Oh, well, let's hear your conspiracy Which is, theory. so the Americans want to sell, because I, 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 I don't think submarines are even going to really be a thing in 40 years' time. Like, the drones no. are going to be the thing to sort of... If you know, if anyone ever wanted to invade Australia or something, you just use some fucking drones. You know, ten bucks at JK. <laughs> but the thing is, they've got a whole lot of sunk costs. Get it in submarines, <laughs> and they need to defray those costs, right? So they need to, they need to sell it to a sucker, right? And you know, as as Keating said, you know, there was only one person on that stage over in in America 
who was paying, like everyone turned up and and Albo was the one with the open checkbook. And and I think that what has happened is they have very effectively mapped Anthony Albanese's psychology, realised that he doesn't have a father figure in his life. And you know how people who don't who don't grow up No, this is true. People who don't grow up with father figures in their lives are in constant search, unless they do years and years of therapy, they're in constant search of dad. And every few years, you, you would have met people like this, every few years they feel like, oh, I've found my father figure at last, and then they do whatever they, whatever that father figure wants for a while to impress them, right? And I reckon the Americans, like they're, they're sophisticated actors, they would have mapped Albo's psychology. They would have gone, he just needs a father figure. Who's old enough to look like a father around it? Oh, Joe. But right? I do. You can, you can well, I think we do be an effective father. Like, this, um, was, this was Morrison's idea when he had, you know, defence and security whispering in his ear. And it was within 20 20- When Albo got in, when Albo got in, he could have easily torn up, like it would have been really easy for them to tear up that so. thing. And instead he went. I think part of the problem had he been, went though, full I think, throttle. Um, Keating's criticism in quite personal terms of um, Penny Wong and Richard. Miles. I mean, Richard Miles has long been kind of in the American camp, as it were. But that they, there was being thought about still. Everything was being fed through the electoral mm. prism. But what can we do to make sure that we can't be wedged by this yes. on May twenty first? Yes. And so to immediately fall in behind, we are as close to the US as them. There's no military wedge you can you can yes, draw then. Absolutely. And then, like so many other things. Yes. Um, being that small target, cleaving yourself so closely to a you know nightmarishly poor government mm. is going to have consequences on the other side of the election mm. if you don't want to lose faith with and a reputation for integrity um, with their community immediately. No, but you can't just but you, tear up something you said that you believed in and that you supported. Yeah, but you can. You can not throw yourself fully into it. Like, yeah. they've done that with fucking yeah, wages. I, I yeah. They said that they wanted wages to rise and now they're not but doing wages. That, now they're going, oh, actually, actually, we do want people to go backwards. Katie Gallagher said that on Monday. So they, they mapped Albo and they worked on him like that. They needed Albo across the line. Penny Wong, I, I was in South Australia. I was talking to somebody who works with Penny Wong who said, oh, well, the whole thing that they keep saying to Penny Wong is, Japan, like, so you know how Penny Wong got rid of Japan's ambassador because he was a bit rude to her oh, in a right. meeting. Right. And it's the first time ever. Ruthless that Penny. They, they've, they've pulled the ambassador because, um, you know, he was a bit mean. And, but Japan keeps on complaining that, oh, the Chinese are doing 90 incursions a day. We've got to do something about China. China's on the warpath, right? I reckon that's that's another weapons of mass destruction talking point. I reckon the US have gone around and they've gone, we've got to get rid of these fucking subs. We need Australia to be the patsy. Okay, Japan, we're doing a message box. You're going to just make up that there's 90 incursions a day by China. Boom. Keep telling that to Penny. You know, like... Albo, here, Joe, go and pretend to be his dad for a few years. You know, like just those sorts of things, and then and then suddenly he rocks up with the checkbook, and it's all over. I mean, I think it's pretty. 
I think it's pretty clear that we're easy marks because didn't we buy those Colin class submarines that were notoriously bad at being submarines? Like they vibrated at a level so everyone could hear them. Yeah. Would, you and know, the we already bought those. That were too ago. heavy to actually it, take off. Well, the, the Colin yeah. class like, submarines. But they're still. They're still on the never never those fighter class jet those fighter jets that we apparently are going to have to spend billions. We to don't get. ever but get it, the military stuff we paid for, and it's largely because weirdos like Greg Sheridan get to like just write screeds that boost Lockheed Martin shares on the front cover of the Australian. For well, decades. that is, I mean, what what is the interesting thing? Even though the media spent most of the time being concerned about how mean Keating was to the media. His intervention did succeed finally in opening up the debate and suddenly all the questions um, and analysis that hadn't happened before when you only had ASPE kind of red alert things on the front pages of the nine press did start to get an airing and we've had any number of mm. different criticisms like Hugh White, will they ever come anyway? That level of complexity mm. between a three transnational kind of um, design and build and delivery, training, education, how is that going to work? Um, you know, it, but, uh, uh, is this really what we would want to defend us? Mm. If we're not talking about just being an adjunct to the US Navy and actually defending um, the Australian continent, why do we want mm. um, submarines pay, that we have to pay such a huge amount for? We can only have three in operation any time. I mean, that's even worse than toothpicks at, at the mountains kind of territory. Mm. So are they kind of fit for purpose? Are they worth the money anyway. I mean, it just seems such a huge amount of money. And what does that mean we're not spending the money on? And what are we going to do with the nuclear waste? What does it mean about our sovereignty? Why have we just jumped an entire you know, generation of strategic focus overnight without any discussion? So these questions are at least now being asked by a whole range of different people who are not just China hawks being funded by the US military industrial complex. It is strange that it feels like like every single question you've just listed um, is very important. There's there's also other big picture questions that it felt like, for some reason, it was up to Paul Keating to talk about, you know, our, our position in whatever the global superpower order is. It's strange that that is just never questioned at all. No. And what does and, it mean again? I mean, he took, for so long was talking about our safety being in Asia, not from Asia. And yet we've kind of upended that. And that was part of the French's position is they wanted to get involved in the Indo-Pacific and they saw, um, you know, collaborating with us on those submarines as a really important part of that. And that was just junked um, because, you know, Morrison had a hard-on for nuclear. Mm. Um, yeah. So I guess the big question before we finish up for today is um, the $364 billion question is why are we not spending that kind of money on climate change and why can we not address that kind of problem coming at us, hurtling at us at a, at a speed that's beyond belief um, when we apparently can militarily. And and the IPCC report that just landed is suggesting that it's even more urgent mm. than, um, than but, before. But, well, I was talking to a, a foreign policy expert who reckons that the reason is that be, they've given up on that, – that, that clearly the, the wars of the future are going to be climate wars. It's going to be about – large flows of refugees, which has already started happening in the Pacific, sort of, you know, like the the nation of Kiribati has just bought a whole lot of land on the top of on the top of um, Fiji's main island, right, Viti Levu, because where are they going to put yeah. all the people from Kiribati? It's because it's about to go under, right? And so the, the, they are wars and that are 
that are genuinely going to happen. They've gamed it out and gone, well, we could, I suppose we could solve climate change, but actually probably why don't we just put the money into So we'll just shoot them down the as they come towards us um, looking for, for mercy and for land. But I think that's, you know, if, if you've only got a hammer, like if you're mapping it out and you're the Defence Department of America or whatever, you're the Pentagon, and the only tool that you've got is a hammer, you go, okay, well... That there is a risk that's being created by climate yeah, change. Right. We need to buy more hammers. We won't try and alleviate, stop, slow. We'll just hmm. get lots of hammers ready it's, for the people coming at us. It's the zombie apocalypse I, approach to climate change, basically. <laughs> I actually – can I pitch you my solution this will to be climate good. change? Charles, well, you know that we love your solutions. You've already solved um, the renting crisis, if only anyone would listen to mm. you. So, uh, yes, let's – And this will, only, this will just take one minute. Keep it short, buddy. I, I'd, I'd be interested in what Patrick – uh, things okay. of this as well because I think yeah. it's got real legs. Um, so what we want is so what I reckon we do. Apple's about to come out with those VR AR headsets things where you can see a different reality. They'll be really high resolution. They'll look really realistic. What we do is we give them to all the like the Labor Party and stuff like that and people in power all around the world, right? Gas companies like Santos, right? Tanya Plibersek gets a pair. You know, Chris Bowen, all of those people. You then create a reality using AI, because it's really easy nowadays to sort of create new realities, where all the gas fields are suddenly being burnt and, you know, like everything's turning into a climate apocalypse, maybe even like scorched earth, maybe get them a bodysuit so that it all heats up a bit and feels awful, maybe don't give them enough water and stuff like that. And they can live in their reality that they're wanting to create, you know, 116 extra gas wells, just, they, just make that reality happen for them and then the rest of us who actually want to fucking fix the problem can be in reality and and we don't have to worry about all the people who want the extra gas wells because they've got their little AR headsets and they can live in the fantasy land that that's what they want. And we could do some kind of – there could be some sort of severance kind of Mm. thing where you don't remember from one to the next. So it's that merging kind of cultural kind of icon. It is interesting. Why I like this – is because when I was a ten, I do remember telling my parents that I thought video games could save the world, and you've just proven that, Charles. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, it does seem odd to me uh, that it is the Labor left is finally in control, and all of the things that the Labor left used to do throughout all of their decades of impetus, where you know uranium was bad, nuclear waste was a problem, mm. we were sceptical about mm. um, you know the US alliance. Now that they're holding the levers of power. They seem to be embracing um, the opposite more firmly than one could ever have yes. anticipated or feared. Well, I think it's probably a case of remember that Simpsons episode where Marge is like, Homer, you can't solve every problem by uh, moving under the sea. Um, <laughs> I think that they've actually bought these submarines because they're like, how are we going to beat climate change? We're just going to move everyone underwater. <laughs> In fact, you can solve every problem by moving under the sea. Yeah. Um, okay, look, it's been wild and wonderful. Um, Patrick, a, thank you so much for being our guest today. That's a way better we'll title for back. this episode. Sorry, Joe. That's a way better title for this episode than Charles's You Gotta Hand It to the Nazis. I just. It's <laughs> <laughs> really stinging. <laughs> uh, so, thank you all for listening once again. Charles, you want to do your little spiel, which I will learn at some point. Our gear is from Rode. 
And we are part of the Iconoclast Network. Fantastic. We'll catch you next so week. So look out for a newsletter coming out on Friday with more words of wit and wisdom from the writers of the shop. Okay, I think that was a good episode. It sounds so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.